My guest on this episode of Geek 4 is the returning Dr. Mandy Elliott. For longtime listeners, Mandy was a, a guest in season one, where we talked about her love of Hitchcock and how her grandmother introduced her to those films. This time we're talking about Mandy's love of post-code comedies, a group of films that were made after the Hayes Code came into effect in the mid-1930s. For those of you who don't know, the Hayes Code was a production code that basically limited the sorts of stories that filmmakers could tell, the things that they could show. Um, you know, they couldn't show characters kissing for longer than three seconds. They couldn't show miscegenation, uh, romances between the races. It was an incredibly limiting production code. Within those limitations, there were a couple of brilliant filmmakers who were able to use the limitations in wonderfully subversive ways and were able to tell really interesting, sophisticated stories despite the code. And so we talk about those, those filmmakers like Preston Sturges and Frank Capra, who were able to do amazing things within those limitations. Mandy is a film scholar who lives and works in Winnipeg, Manitoba. She's a friend and former colleague at Booth University College in Winnipeg. Uh, shout out to Booth. And this was just a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? Dr. Mandy Elliott, welcome back to Geek 4. So nice to see you. So nice to see you too. Thanks for having me back. Oh, anytime. It's been far too long. <laughs> far too long. One of the great disappointments in moving from Winnipeg is getting to hang out with you and talk about movies. And we're going to talk about your love of pre-code Hollywood films. Well, yes. It's actually just post uh, well, I love pre-code, but I also love post the post-code and how they get around the code. Okay. All that's, right. That's all right. What I'm, I'm really into right now. For people who don't know, for the non-film scholar fans uh, of Geek 4, <laughs> can you explain what the code is? Yeah. So um, in the early 20s, uh, Hollywood was, was trucking along and movies were getting... Um, more and more explicit and there were some court cases involved and essentially in very simplistic terms the government threatened to get involved and hollywood did not want the government to get involved so they sort of compromised and hired the ex-attorney general or uh post officer general post whatever that's called uh will hayes uh to to run the production code administration um and for a while, they didn't really take him that seriously. But then um, things started changing around 1930. And then in 1934, there were real crackdowns where movies would not get um, get distributed, essentially, if they didn't have a certificate from the Production Code Administration. And the Catholic Church got involved. And it was, yeah, it's it's just wild. Some of the, uh, the rules... Um, Hayes, Hayes called them the don't do's and be carefuls. Um, so no kisses lasting longer than three minutes or three seconds. Three um, minutes. <laughs> three minutes. Yeah, the, that's the absolute max. Yeah. Um, that's, this is when we start seeing, you know, married couples. If we see their bedrooms, they have twin beds. Um, no cross-racial relationships. Definitely no uh, same-sex relationships no sedition, no disparaging religion, all of that stuff was off limits. So 
yeah, movies had to be had to be careful, and and there were some like Cecil B. DeMille didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like he he actually like tried to, um, yeah. Well, yeah, was it Cecil B. DeMille who was just like, I, now I'm gonna definitely not make anything that the code would like. Like he just really rebelled. Um, uh, quite a few filmmakers rebelled. Mm. But in the end, if they wanted their stuff to come out, they had to adhere. Yeah, the distribution becomes problematic if they can't get um, mm -hmm. authorized by the, the the Hayes Code. Yeah, you you mentioned the, the the list of like often like ridiculous rules that come in as this attempt to kind of police themselves. Like really, it was it was Hollywood wanting to keep the government out. Uh, yeah. Why why they did, didn't drive trucks to the Capitol and, and honk a lot. I mean, that's how you get the government to do <laughs> stuff, right? Work. Yeah, that's how you get the government to do stuff. Um, <laughs> and always good when you get the Catholic Church involved. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> admittedly, like there are a lot of like the quality of films definitely suffers mm -hmm. in light of the Hayes Coast because things are not allowed. And there's lots of wonderful stories of of things that kind of get stuck in production hell because they can't figure out a way because this kind of censorship is not in books. Um, mm -hmm. So getting things made gets difficult, but then these, these wonderful, brilliant filmmakers who use the rules and limitations to their advantage and make some absolutely incredible and incredibly subversive yeah. films. So why don't you tell me the list of films that you like from this 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 period? Oh man, well yeah, so many. I've really been um, into screwball comedy lately, and just the ways in which screwball comedy comes out of this this terrible time of of the depression and kind of goes through even even wartime. But the the sweet the sweet spot for screwball comedy was about nineteen thirty four to uh 1943 ish there's there's something about screwball comedy the the dialogue is really quick so you have to be um really paying attention to catch it all i i would even argue for something like his girl friday which was made in 1940 it's impossible to catch everything in one watch i'm still catching new things and i've seen it i don't know like 20 times the, the dialogue in that is lightning fast. Yeah. Lightning fast. That, um, it's something like 120 words a minute or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's wild. Um, but so so that's a way of, of getting around rules, right? If they can't catch you saying something, they're not going to keep watching it and playing it back. Um, the other thing about screwball comedy is it's a way to... Um, sort of distract people from what's going on, which also means it's a way um, to come at a social issue from a from a different angle um, mm. and to sort of establish um, the filmmaker's stance on on certain issues, especially um, issues of politics and and um, as well as his girl Friday and Miracle at Morgan's Creek. Uh, does thoughts on the war right mm -hmm. and and propriety and and um femininity this is another thing i love about screwball comedies is they very often feature 
women Mm -hmm. and women having to navigate, um, you know, lecherous men or uh, unfair political systems or um, social inequality of some sort. Uh, And these women are really funny and really intelligent and they have something to say or they have some sort of expertise that isn't expected. Mm -hmm. And, and I really feel, um, yeah, I just, I just love them and I love how smart they are even though they're made ostensibly just to make people laugh. They really do. I mean, if you look at the at the body of work of the screwball comedies, more often than not, they have the strongest, most independent female characters of yeah. anything else being made. Uh, and like you think about the actors, the female actors who are portrayed, who, who are starring in these things, like Catherine Hepburn, Rosalind Russell, like oh, yeah. Carol Lombard, like they are formidable women and they're always presented mm-hmm. as formidable women independent i mean they they might resolve in marriage at the end mm-hmm. but like there's so much wonderful stuff in between you mentioned one of my favorite films um miracle in morgan's creek yes all film scholars and and film fans i think have that secret list or that secondary list of favorite christmas movies uh-huh Miracle Morgan's Creek is the top of mind. It's one of those films that doesn't necessarily strike people as a Christmas movie, but it does end at Christmas. I think it is the most brilliant, subversive telling of the nativity story ever. Oh, it's so good. And it is, it's just, it's so funny. Unbelievably funny from start to tell me about Miracle of Morgan's Creek. So Miracle of Morgan's Creek. um, Oh man. It's so, so it, it features, this this young girl Trudy Cockenlocker, great name, yeah, the best name. Who had you know she's she's this kind of she's presented as this sort of dizzy blonde who just wants to party. There she has a a rather more serious, more mature younger sister, and their father is the town sheriff. And there is a a. <laughs> poor young sap who follows Trudy around and is in love with her. And his name is Norval. And um, he loves her so much that he's willing to sort of cover for her while she goes out to this dance where they, you know, say, say farewell to the troops who are shipping out in the morning. So she has to lie to her father who wants to control everything she does. And she gets Norval to cover for her while she goes out to this, this dance and she dances the night away with all number of soldiers. And uh, in the morning, she is very hungover and has no idea what she's done. And she comes to realize that she has gotten married to someone she cannot remember. She thinks his name is Ratsky Watsky, which is very obviously not a real name. Except um, that her name is Cock and Locker. So it's yeah. entirely possible so that there's I a Ratsky Watsky. Yeah. In another world, I would love a sequel where she hyphenates her name. So, <laughs> but. <laughs> and her business card needs to fold out so that it can. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hold both names. Locker, Ratsky, Watsky. Um, so, <laughs> so she finds herself married. And that's bad enough. She doesn't know who her husband is. She later finds out that she is also pregnant. And so. But at least she got married. But at least she got married, which is (laughs) how they got around the code. Yes. She's married. So Mm -hmm. it's okay. 
But meanwhile, poor Norval, you know, is is fully willing to just marry her and and help her out. But he's Norval has his own really sad story where he desperately wants to go to war, but he keeps getting rejected um, from from the war and he keeps getting rejected from Trudy. And this guy is just just loyal to the end and he wants to take care of Trudy and she feels so guilty and so awful. And it's just this, this really lovely story of their relationship sort of expanding and becoming deeper. Mm. And it's, it's about Trudy also kind of learning not just growing up, but I think learning to rely on the people who tell her to rely on them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous. Like yeah. it's absolutely a wild ride. And then I don't, I don't know if you want spoilers on here. Oh, spoil it. Spoil so it. She ends up um, the end of the movie. Well, this it's sort of a frame narrative because the, at the beginning we see people just, you know, answering the phone and, and calling and, and, you know, it's happening. The event is happening and everybody's excited. And at the end we come back to that and it's, we realize that they're excited because Trudy is having the baby, which turns out to be five babies. Yes. And uh, the miracle birth, the miracle birth <laughs> of five babies. And they're like, take that Dion quintuplets. Yes. And- <laughs> I love this shot at Canada. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's just, you know, she's, she gives birth and and everything is great and Norval comes in and he's like I love you and let's let's get together and then he wants to look at the baby and he's at the window where they have all the bassinets and he's like which one is Trudy's and they're like all of them and then he sort of passes out it's just a lovely lovely story that I mean given the way that she is carrying on with all of these soldiers and they're off on a wild night and she gets drunk and and Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's amazing it made it past the censors yeah and how and how something like just the inclusion of a marriage that she can't remember to a person she can't remember to a character we never actually see i don't Mm -hmm. like maybe it's one of the guys that we see in the montage of her dancing it's not clear we don't know we see him um that that somehow just erases anything any impropriety any potential impropriety um but then like there's this great relationship with the father i mean he's Mm -hmm. you know on the one hand he's loud obnoxious and you know potentially violent but he also loves his kids and um uh so the the filmmaker Preston Surges uses a kind of a stock company, and William Demers, the father, is in a bunch of films. But this is my favorite of his performances. He's often a much smaller character um, mm. in the films, but he's just like loud, and he's one of these guys. But he loves his kid, and like even as he gets over the the shock and the the potential scandal of the town, he goes out on a limb for his kid. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's also interesting that he is, I mean, he represents the law mm-hmm. and he represents uh world war one veteran. So part of what makes um, Mr. Cock and Locker such a tough guy, especially when it comes to his daughter's relationships with soldiers is that he keeps bringing up how, when he was a soldier in world war one, they were not, they did not behave well. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's he's so, or that's why he cites that he's so overprotective. Mm. But there's another, there's a scene when um, he's reading a newspaper and the film actually cuts to a close-up of an article entitled, Our Military Marriage is a Menace. And we can read it. It says, this is war. Our homes mm. full of young, lonely young women are surrounded by camps full of lonely young men. This is war. Death may be just around the corner and life moves at a desperate pace. Forgotten are caution and circumspection. Haste is the byword. Factories, villages, cities are built overnight and decisions made in a moment, which formerly took years of thought. And it seems as though that article is, is critiquing wartime in a way, just how things are sort of slapdash together. Mm-hmm. But it's also critiquing this these sort of hasty marriages people are making and mm-hmm. the ways in which people are essentially just lonely and throwing their lives away mm-hmm. and and i think that's such a it's so telling and it it adds a lot of depth to cock and locker's character because he knows how soldiers behaved in his day and he also knows that people get desperate right with the with the they, they repeat this is war for a reason, right? It's not a normal thing. The effect of war on the home front, which is usually the lesser uh, focused um, location, uh, the home front, things that are going on. It, it's just so interesting to me that, yeah, he's kind of pulling apart the the domestic side of this because, of course, like Sheriff Cockenlocker stays behind uh, to keep law and order in the town. and But he yeah. speaks from experience. And for those of you just tuning in, marriage is war. Uh, that's, the, <laughs> that's that's the message. That's the message. Unless you're married to Norval. Unless you're married to Norval. Yeah. And then it's not a war. <laughs> oh, she has six babies, not five. Well, you got to get one in. Yeah. You got to yeah, get an next. Yeah. All boys. Of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. Oh, and yeah, well, another thing is too, the the birth of the kids are seen as as a direct um kind of um like a home front attack on Mussolini and, and Hitler, right? Because they're also discussing these these babies. They've there's sort of the shot heard around the world, but it's the you know, the birth of these six babies. Yes. So she is she is doing her part by giving birth to six male children. <laughs> Dancing with soldiers, marrying some soldiers, sleeping with some soldier, and then giving birth to six babies. Yeah, you she, know, she just did her what part. every woman had to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What other um, what other films are piquing your interest from this period? Well, mostly this whole um, <laughs> this whole endeavor is is an excuse to talk about one of my favorite films of all time which is his girl friday um, and and talking about just how i mean for those who don't know it's it's about this woman who identifies as a newspaper man or she was a newspaper man and she has decided to go straight and be a domestic woman and have lots and lots of babies and she's um planning to marry um this this 
real drip played by Ralph Bellamy, just beautifully played by Ralph Bellamy. Who always plays the drip. Who always plays the best drip. At um, this period of time, if Ralph Bellamy shows up in a film, he is the, the fiance that we're supposed to hate. Yes. Except in Dance Girl Dance. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but yeah, he's he's just the drippiest drip, and much is made of how how much of a you know mother special boy he is, and uh, <laughs> so so this woman Hildy Johnson played immaculately by Rosalind Russell brings brings her fiance to this newspaper office where she used to work, and she wants to go in to talk to Walter Burns, who's the editor slash her ex husband. And Walter comes up with this, this plan to get Hildy back. But amid that plan, they're talking about there's a there's been a man on death row on death row for having killed a a black policeman. And because somehow in this world, black folks, black voters have all the power, there's a big to do. And so this So it's a science fiction film. It's a science fiction movie. <laughs> yeah. And so, so this prisoner, Earl Williams, played by John Quaylen, is uh, about to be executed, and lots of things ensue. But one of my favorite scenes is when um, Walter and Hildy are working on this this story, and Walter's on the phone with Duffy, his his managing editor, I guess, and he's trying to make room in the paper for this great big break where Williams has escaped after stealing the sheriff's gun or the sheriff gave Williams his gun and Williams then shot him with it and escaped. And, uh, and so Walter is trying to get this story and, and amid constant interruptions, he says, never mind the European war. We've got something a whole lot bigger than that. So that's one thing, this sort mm. of who cares about world war two. Um, no, no, never mind the Chinese earthquake for heaven's sake. Look, I don't care if there's a million dead, no, no, junk the Polish corridor, take Hitler and stick him on the funny page. Um, so he's going through all of these, these world events, uh, these huge events. This is importantly before the U.S. enters World War II, but there's there's a very will they or won't they sense, right? And people are pretty divided amongst interventionists and isolationists. So Walter is saying all of this stuff, and it seems as though um, this is the joke, right? But then... After all of that, he says, no, no, leave the rooster story alone. That's human interest. <laughs> so, so he's implying that Americans are so removed from the rest of the, the, rest of the world, they don't care about anything as much as they care about local roosters. <laughs> Which is, I mean, not a great look. <laughs> no, right? no, no. But again, I think it like, because the dialogue is so incredibly fast, like I, I I heard a statistic a long time ago and I don't remember what it is, like, but how how many pages of dialogue the script is uh for His Girl Friday? And it's like almost double the size of a normal script for an hour and a half long film. Yeah. And they just talk so fast they get everything in. Yeah. And because characters overlayer dialogue and they're talking over each other, they can get a lot more in. Yeah. And there's some really dark jokes in this film. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, do you want to, it's a remake, but do you want to talk about like the differences in the remake? <laughs> well, the remake. So 
Oh, there's a button here. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, spring is coming. Spring is coming in Winnipeg when bugs show up inside in in March. <laughs> Cattle get it. Um, yeah, so it's a remake of the front page, which is originally a play featuring two men. Mm-hmm. And so his girl Friday um, brings in this this uh, romantic aspect of of newspapering, and they even keep the names the same, which is wild that no one's made a queer remake of it yet um but but yeah so it's it's the aspect of hildy being a divorced woman who is about to remarry and who keeps getting her um her fiance into all of these not only social taboos but legal scrapes Mm -hmm. um really positions her as somewhat of a of a a bad girl not to mention the fact that she keeps identifying as a newspaper man yeah yeah right like it's there's some real gender politics going on there and she's gonna give it all up to like you know fulfill the traditional gender role and we see no and we see she's clearly like the best newspaper man on the paper and yeah. yeah And Walter clearly knows it <laughs> and also wants to remarry her. So then yeah. it's all okay. It's a, she gets married at the end, but she's, but she's still able to be this, this great newspaper man. Yeah. To the extent uh, to which she, she goes to visit Earl Williams in prison and she bribes the guard, which would have been making law enforcement look bad. Wasn't really a, a great thing during, during that time. Um but she kind of pretends that he dropped it. And she also shares a cigarette with Earl Williams, which is, you know, it's sexy, mm-hmm. right? There's lipstick on it. And he says, I don't smoke. Like she's, she's the one sort of wanting to share this, this intimate thing mm-hmm. with this prisoner while she's engaged to somebody while she's already a divorced woman. So it's, it's like, she's, she's really, her character is complicated yeah. and she's sort of doing all the things that a lady is not supposed to do while she's also telling Walter how to treat a lady. So there's, there's a real give and take there with, with how Hildy behaves. In some ways it's like the way crime is depicted in the Hayes Coast because ca- crime can't pay. Crime um, can never pay. Yeah. yeah. So criminals have to be arrested or killed at the end of the films. But with that rule, then they can like make the crime can be really interesting and really extravagant. So the same thing kind of with with gender politics is they can play with it as long as they kind of put her back in a box at the end. Um, and and people don't forget how subversive it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's even like it's a box. Importantly, it's a box of her own making where she just wants to be a newspaper man mm-hmm. and i think she wants that more than she wants to be married to walter again she just wants back in the game i think walter wants her back on staff more than he wants to marry yeah, her as like well so marriage yeah. is just sort of the, the propriety so they can go off and write stories hold up together in a bunker yep. like i <laughs> for those of you just tuning in marriage is propriety <laughs> so what other films anything else people should watch oh yeah um well speaking of of marriage and and awkwardness i think uh to be or not to be is another really good example of 
you know, really pushing the envelope uh, as a wartime comedy. Um, so this one uh, stars Carol Lombard and Jack Benny as this married couple who are actors, uh, Polish actors. Importantly, they are Polish. They are not Americans. So that already gives them a little bit more leeway. Um, but the movie opens with um, with a Nazi, you know, sitting behind it. It, it opens with Hitler. Mm. And this Nazi sitting behind a desk giving a child a toy um, and saluting, you know, Heil Hitler. And everybody is is saying Heil Hitler. And then Hitler walks in and and in this very serious moment, Hitler says, Heil myself. <laughs> and we, we kind of understand that, that it's a goof. Yeah. And we hear this off-screen voice yell cut, and we understand that it's a play, and there's one of the actors in the company just looks like Hitler and he's able to, to play a really convincing Hitler. Um, and, and he says, you know, the, the, the producer says, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that. You can't do that. And the actor says, Oh, but it'll get a mm -hmm. laugh. And the producer says, but I don't want to laugh here. And then this Jewish member of the company comes up. He's obviously coded as Jewish and he very seriously defends having making fun of Hitler, saying a laugh is nothing to be sneezed mm. at. Mm. And I mean, not only is it wild that they have this, this really pathos encouraging Jewish actor in a movie making fun of Hitler during the Holocaust, but it's it's wild that they're also, yeah, just just saying that laughing at hitler maybe is another way of fighting mm. hitler yeah yeah right well i mean look how look how angry trump got at jimmy kimmel and i mean of of the yep. ones to get angry at jimmy kimmel might not have been the one but um or saturday night live like when when you make ridiculous the people who are ridiculous and powerful uh they don't like it very much it's actually a, a wonderfully subversive thing to do uh to laugh at the powerful um yeah. i hadn't seen um to be or not to be until until a number of years, about 10 years ago i saw it for the first time and it was one that i'd i'd heard about wasn't a huge jack benny fan um you know he's kind of a his shtick from tv didn't really do much for me but i saw it and i'm like this might be one of the smartest films ever made like it's so good um i'm not a big fan of the mel brooks remake but okay um <laughs> fair um but I, like when you look at like what art can do and it's a it's art <laughs> um in terms okay. of like making a powerful political statement I don't few things hit quite like to be or not to be. And actually the other one, like I, I watched it recently, uh, former guest and friend, Adam Roach, who's been on the podcast uh, has a film club. We meet on Sundays online and we watched my man, Godfrey, which I, I love. Oh, I just that one. <laughs> it is so incredibly prescient. Like, like the, the divide between rich and poor, like yeah. like people comment while the movie's on and we have like a chat bot and chat box and people are just like this is like like eerily contemporary yeah it's wild i actually i showed um 
in my film history course, I I taught Gold Diggers in 1933. We watched that one too. <laughs> which, which, you know, the last scene is very out of step with the rest of the mm -hmm. movie. It's this big uh, musical number about forgotten men, about men who fought in World War One and were sort of... It's the weirdest ending. It's the weirdest ending. And then it just ends. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very out of step with the rest of the film. So I taught that one. And then I taught My Man Godfrey. So the idea of the forgotten man was was top of mind, but it was so so interesting seeing you know in gold diggers they're really playing up this um you know they were they were soldiers they fought they died they deserve respect and then in my man godfrey they live in a garbage dump right and and people are these rich people are, are grabbing them for scavenger hunts right i need one forgotten man to to win this scavenger hunt and they think nothing of it and and the forgotten men are like excuse us <laughs> we are just trying to live here <laughs> so yeah it's it's so it's very prescient in a lot of ways and it's it's really and if we're gonna go to spoiler territory godfrey opens a restaurant called the uh, nightclub called the garbage dump whatever it's called garbage in the garbage dump because yeah. um, all mm -hmm. the all the all the rich people think it's trendy and cool to go yeah. slum it um it's so like, you hire like <laughs> oh if you just throw in instagram and tiktok like you it's it's today mm -hmm. it's so immediate yeah and just yeah the the way in which they just don't treat him as a human being until they find out he's actually mm -hmm. wealthy yeah yeah it's like, I, yep, I forgot yeah. how good that film was like that was one when i first got into classic film I saw that early. I've had a copy for forever. What and I go back to, but I just hadn't watched it in years. And then watching it with a group of people and commenting as the film's going on, going like, "Oh wow, this actually, this this holds up like really well." Gold Diggers of 1933, I don't think holds up as well because that that's a weird ending. Although I didn't know, is it Eileen McMahon, the one of the one of the three women? She's awesome. <laughs> She's awesome. It was really fun seeing my students' reactions to Petten in the Park, which is a musical number. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is what it's like. Our running track on that guy kind of got a little X-rated. <laughs> Petten in the Park. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's another yeah. one. We were talking off before we got started, like in terms of actors and persona, the, you know, the way that they're portrayed on the film, Dick Powell might be one of those other James Cagney ones. Cause like he's known as a song and dance man. This is definitely in that, in that genre, light entertainment singer. Uh, but he does have this little film noir twist in, uh, in murder, my sweet uh, that maybe, you know, it's not, he's not on the level of, of, of Cagney or, or I think that's what Rathbone was. The other one I said had very different. Yeah, yeah parts to his screen persona <laughs> this has been so much fun <laughs> i just love talking i love talking about movies it makes me excited today was a long day at work so this was delightful <laughs> so where can people find you on social media if they want to see what you're up to people can find me on twitter at mandy underscore elliot e-l-l-i-o-t-t -T. um they can also find um, we don't have an account yet, but uh, a pal of mine and I have our own 
comedy film podcast it's, called The Juicy. It's Kid. great. I'm oh, such a you. fan. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun, and we actually have an episode on His Girl Friday. If if you ever want to follow up, um, next episode coming out is on Three Women, which was a a real joy to discuss. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for an intersectional, um, queer friendly movie comedy podcast, then look no further. I highly recommend it. Um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time. It's lovely talking to you. We should, do, we should you. do this again sometime. I would love to. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. <laughs>